Welcome into the Ebony Bird Podcast, episode 27. I'm your host, Jake McDonald. This podcast is being brought to you by Fansided. Be sure to follow us at ebonybird.com and ebony underscore bird on Twitter. We are coming to you through iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Once again, I'm contributor Jake McDonald. My handle for Twitter is jmcdonald95. We're going to bring in our two site experts, Chris Schistler at FootballMan58 and at Joe Schiller with a new Twitter handle at Joe Schiller NFL. But before we get to that, another reminder to download the Ebony Bird app from the App Store to keep track of all of your content coming from the Ebony Bird website on your mobile device. We have plenty of good content up there coming right now from Joe and Chris, the most recent ones. Joe wrote three stats the Ravens must approve on from last season's and Ozzie Newsome keeping his offseason promise. And then Chris had two recent articles, which quarterback should the Ravens hope the Browns take? And then another one that was just recently posted a couple minutes ago, moments ago, new, the new NFL targeting rule will get frustrating quickly, which we're going to talk about in this edition of the Ebony Bird podcast. We'll have a recap of some of the rule changes the NFL announced today, going over some free agency moves that could still happen for the Ravens, having some late additions now that the main period and free agency is over. And then we'll go over a position breakdown of the offensive line again. At the owners' meetings this week, uh, head coach John Harbaugh spoke to reporters about what the plans were as far as the offensive line goes again the Ravens declined Austin Howard's option and lost Ryan Jensen uh, who started at center last year the Tampa Bay Buccaneers becoming the highest paid center and they really added James Hurst Alex Lewis is going to be coming back but there's still going to be some holes on offensive line and Harbaugh spoke a little bit today about what that might look like again this is before the draft things could change and then after we break down that we'll have some uh, discussion on some gut feelings for the 16th overall pick in the first round with that being said how's it going guys we'll go over to chris and then joe i know joe it's been a while it's been about a month since uh you've been on the podcast but before we get started uh how's everybody doing tonight on this fine tuesday evening pretty good it's uh good to talk some football don't really have a lot going on other than getting ready for the draft and yeah that's pretty much it yeah, I mean, same here. I'm glad to be back from the podcast. Thanks to Jonathan for taking a spot last week. He did an awesome job, but uh, just ready to talk some football with you guys. Absolutely. And our first topic of discussion, as I alluded to with Chris's recent article about the new targeting rule, uh, three big rules that I noticed uh, were changed today. Uh, the helmet hit rule, uh, according to the new rule, players are going to be penalized if they lead with the crown of their helmet to initiate contact against an opponent on any play. And that player may be disqualified depending on the hit. Uh, and along with that, the NFL addressed a number of things. One of them is the catch rule. To go over the new catch rule, for a catch, a receiver must have control of the ball. They must have two feet down or another body part. And they must include a football move such as a third step, reaching, extending for the line to gain or the ability to perform such an act. That's the textbook definition of the new rule now. And one asterisk here I wanted to mention, the rule took out the key going to the ground element of the old rule that was such a problem last season. And even though there's all this football move discussion and still in this rule, the whole surviving the ground, for example, the Jesse James catch last season, if that catch happened this season, that would have been ruled a catch based on this new rule. And then just another small tidbit I saw uh, as far as the rule changes go, you can now trade players on injured reserve teams will be able to do that what are your thoughts on first the um the targeting rule and then the next one like the, the receiver rule what i will say about the catch rule uh is that it's a good it's a good thing that it's got a little clearer i still think you're going to have a bunch of replay you're, it's, that's not going to be fixed uh it's going to be better but the ability to make such moves seems really vague to me 
But the one I really want to talk about is the targeting thing, and we're calling it the targeting thing. The NFL is not calling it the targeting thing, but it kind of is. Here's the deal. The best way to prevent injuries is good technique. You're encouraging bad technique because you already made you already said you can't hit high, you can't hit low. The target is small, moving fast. Everyone's bigger and stronger. So the only way to encourage good technique is not to make a roll like this. You're going to see worse tackling. You're going to see a worse product on the field. And when players get ejected in a big game over a really controversial rule that this is going to be controversial every step of the way, it's going to create more problems for the NFL than it solves. Uh, I, I agree that you know you never want to see uh, the things that happened with Ryan Cesar. You never want to see concussions and injuries to the head. But this literally is not solving anything. And now every single play in the game could be a penalty. C.J. Mosley could get ejected from the game for tackling the running back, coming up the A-gap. Simple play. Bang, bang. Never, a play you never want to start a fan, but you're only lowering his helmet. What, what is, lowering your, what is lowering, your, lowering your helmet? Is it uh, putting your face down? Do you have to – it just seems unbelievable to me that – you want to tackle low to tackle well, but you can't lower your head. What am I thinking of on the defensive player? What am I supposed to do? I'm apparently supposed to stand up right and say, hi, how are you doing? Can uh, I tackle? Okay, please go to the ground now. I don't understand it. I think it's ridiculous. I don't know how the hell they plan on enforcing it. And because they can't enforce it without his area ensuing, the NFL's biggest problem is going to come back to itself. Lack of consistency. It's going to be called one way in one game, one way in one down, one way in another down. It's going to be horrible. I cannot stand this move. I'm done. Yeah, I mean, just for clarification, is this a um, is player disqualified by uh, review of replay, or is this just like discretion of the officials on the field? I wasn't really sure about that. As I understand it, he's just uh, ejected. And then the thing I was reading on Twitter, a lot of people were asking him about it and saying, well, then they learned from college football. College football did the automatic ejection and then it turned into a review. It looks like the NFL is going to do the same thing rather than just seeing, hey, they, they went to the review eventually because of these problems. But Yeah, I mean, I thought the NFL did such a good job at fixing the catch rule to avoid much controversy this season. And then they combat that with adding a rule that's going to create more controversy along with it. So it was just, I thought that was very confusing. Um, like Jake said, I really do like the new catch rule, though. I mean, as much as we can rag on the Steelers, there's no doubt that Jesse James's catch was a catch. I mean, he turned around, made the football move, and scored the touchdown. I mean, Robert Kraft, all 32 um, owners unanimously voted on it, so even Robert Kraft believed that Jesse James scored that touchdown. So, I mean, that's pretty – Obviously, within itself. I mean, like Chris said, it's always going to have its controversies. There's still going to always be a gray area, but at least there's three different components that are laid out that we can, you know, look to when arguing a catch. And I thought it was interesting that um, Garrett Downey from the Ravens tweeted out that John Harbaugh um, was a big part in suggesting to the NFL that they remove the element of time when reviewing these. Because a lot of these catches during the season last year, it took like 
five minutes to figure it out over replay, and by the time you look at it, it, everyone, it just slows down the pace of the game. It's it's just horrible for the game when they do that. So I hope they do follow through with that and really try to make these um, decisions quick so the pace of the game just keeps moving. I mean, as for the targeting one, like I said, I, I'm not a fan of it either. I mean, the Ryan Shazier um, situation was scary, but that's a one-in-a-million-time thing. I, you don't see that happen very often. It applies to the offensive side of the ball too. So I'm, it's just going to create more controversy when – you implement a rule like this where it's up to the discretion of the officials. And when you get to the point in a big game where a big-time player is ejected because of this, it's going to cause a ton of controversy throughout the league. Because when a player is – when, like, say, like Odell Beckham is ejected, you know, for what he did to Josh Norman, that's going to change the entire course of the game. And if it's an important situation like a playoff clinching situation or even the playoff itself, it, it's that's really having the officials decide like the outcome of the game. And that's like the exact opposite of what you want. So I'm interested to see how this is going to work. I don't have high hopes like Chris said, but I mean, we'll see It's the NFL where inconsistencies are just irregular by now. So I think we're just kind of numb to it. Yeah, absolutely. Just frustrating to see them have such a nice uh, improvement on the catch rule and the turnaround and come back in a manner like uh this particular rule. Richard Sherman even coming out against this rule already as well, saying that it's going to lead to more lower extremity injuries since players literally can't leave their helmet because of risking of getting ejected. But moving on now on the Ebony Bird podcast, going over some possible moves the, uh, the Ravens can make in free agency this season. Again, the big contracts have been handed out. Anything beyond this point is just going to be uh, more lower tier moves the teams can make unless there's like a cut in the summer after the draft, for example. Um, I just have kind of two things I could see happening here. I could see if the Ravens find themselves in a situation in the draft where receivers are getting taken left and right, we all know that's a big pressing need right now. And if they aren't happy with their receiver situation coming out of the draft, uh, maybe Jordan Matthews could be a possible option there. And then another possibility I see uh, maybe being a potential fit is if uh, Jimmy Smith has a late return from his Achilles injury, which actually John Harbaugh said during his press conference earlier today that he is uh, ahead of schedule but just for the sake of argument here, if he does have a late start and he's not ready for training camp for the season, for example, maybe Dominic rogers Cromartie could be an option. Uh, but we'll shoot over to Joe and then Chris, just some possible free agents remaining in the pool that you could see still happening at some key positions for the Ravens. I think most of it would have to fall under wide receiver. I mean, they brought in Willie Sneed and Cameron Meredith as restricted free agents. And even those aren't sure things because the teams are able to match the offer sheets on them, depending on what the Ravens offer. But I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because obviously you'd like to see them add someone on the offensive line, but the pool for offensive linemen not just pretty trash and it wasn't that great to begin with. So you figure they would probably target that to the draft. Um, like you said, maybe corner. I'm not sure. I really haven't taken too much of a look at it, but I mean, the, we saw the Ravens um, struggle to make big time moves at the beginning of the free agency. And just with their limited cap space, it's hard to see them really making any big time moves. Um, I'm not sure. I, I just feel like maybe Meredith would be the best fit. Um, but it's hard to say because he was towards ACL last year, and the Bears are probably pretty primed to keep him depending on the offer. But the Ravens still need help at wide receiver. And, just, and um, seeing how many how much money was offered to these free agents kind of tells you of how, I guess, how teams are feeling about the draft. I mean, there's not too many wide receivers in the first round that are sure locks. So, I mean, if, even if the Ravens were throwing – $29 million and Ryan Grant kind of tells you how they feel confidence-wise about trying to find a potential number one pass catcher in the draft. So if they're adding anyone, I feel like it's that wide receiver, but it's not going to be anyone significant as the Jarvis Landry's, the Allen Robinson's are all off the board. I agree with everything Joe just said. 
Um, I will say in the NFL draft, there are three wide receivers that I think should go in the first round. Other than that, most of the second, third round guys, I think rounds two and three are going to be heavy with wide receivers, which means, yeah, there's only a couple number one guys. I see DJ Moore as my uh, number two guy. Um, Christian Kirk, I think, is an Odell Beckham-like talent. And, you know, I love Cortland Scott and as uh, my number one guy. Um, but outside of those guys, I, I mean, you're not going to find the stud wide receiver and, you know, at 16, you're a no man's land. Even if you have them valued, if you can get them later, you're going to want to trade back. Um, I, I think it also, the Wyman's very likely in the draft, but you, you look at oh, wide receivers, I think Cameron Meredith is just, you got to, you got to want to make it happen. The problem is, to make it happen, you have to overpay. I think the Saints might be willing to just let Willie Sneed go. If the Ravens give a decent offer, but not breaking the bank offer to Willie Sneed, he could have a bounce-back year in Baltimore. Uh, if he doesn't get suspended and get hurt last year, uh, he has a chance to have a third really good season in a row. So I would really look to Snead, but again, I, I don't know if there's a sense of urgency on a restricted free agent. Therefore, it's a lot of this is probably going to happen after the draft. But I think Snead's the most likely guy. I think Meredith is the best option. And when your best options are restricted free agents, the draft is probably your best option anyway. With the recent Odell Beckham Jr. trade rumors coming up over the past few days, I feel like I should add on to this discussion. Any, I mean, it's kind of hard to envision with the Ravens not being able to land Jarvis Landry in a trade that they would have any chance of getting a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. Are we all in unison on that, or do any, any of you guys think that there might be a small glimpse of hope that the Ravens could possibly land Odell? Not a chance. I would say in the back of my mind there is, but, I mean, if we're being realistic, if they can't trade for Jarvis Landry and take on that contract, I just don't see how they could do it with Odell. They could do the trade. They couldn't do the money. Right, exactly. And if you do the money, then you're cutting, like, half the roster. So. We yeah, my- don't mind that Joe Flacco is making too much money to spend frivolously at a wide receiver, even though he would be a leap and bound upgrade. What could you put next to him? That's a good question, and honestly, there might be some character problems there as well. I'm not saying Odell's a bad guy, but there is a lot of baggage that he's had both on and off the field in his short career, and I'm not sure if the Ravens are willing to have a a personality like that in the locker room at this time. So moving on on the Ebony Bird Podcast, once again, I'm contributor Jake McDonald. You can find me at jmcdonald95 on Twitter. Again, our two set experts, Chris Schistler at FootballMan58 and Joe Schiller at Joe Schiller NFL out on Twitter. Our site handle is ebony underscore bird, and you can check us out at ebonybird.com, courtesy of Fansighted, and the podcast coming to you through iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Moving on now... A positional breakdown of the offensive line as we stand right now, like I alluded to earlier, John Harbaugh spoke with reporters at the owners' meetings today down in Florida. He did say that as things stand right now, Matt Skura, who started most of the season at right guard with Marshall Yanda out for the season with a broken ankle, he's the leading candidate to play center. Alex Lewis will return to left guard, and also the Ravens will be will have Nico Saragusa returning from injury as well. And he did say that James Hurst right now is the favorite to move out of right tackle, so um, I will ask Chris and Joe now, is this good enough? It, what is Lewis's best position, and is Skura the best option for center? I know things are likely to change in the draft, and a lot of experts are mocking t- tackles to the Ravens in the first round, but 
What do we make of these comments from Harbaugh today about the current state of the Ravens' offensive line? I think Matt's at center makes a lot of sense. I honestly want to be shocked. The Ravens don't do anything at center, and I think Skura can do a decent job. He, if you told me that Skura would be the center replacing Jensen this time last year, I'd be horrified. But you know what? Skura proved me he can be adequate. I I love bringing James, uh, uh, James Hurst back. I love bringing James Hurst back. Uh, but I think they got it backwards. I think left guard is his best position. And I think Alex Lewis's best position is left guard, too. I'm so I understand Hurst. it. I'm with you on Hurst, for sure. Uh, okay. I, I just think Hurst is there. He, he has trouble with speed off the edge. At guard, that really is not as big of an issue. Um, he, I think the game comes to him better. I think Lewis is better at left guard, too. But you know what? I think Lewis is better at right tackle than Hurst is. So I think that might end up getting reversed by just, you know, playing around with it. But if James Hurst is your option at right tackle, I think that tells you Mike McGlinchey is a, or Colton Miller is a really big option at 16 because – John Harbaugh can say all the nice things he wants about James Hurst at right tackle until James Hurst isn't your right tackle. He's not making big money. He's versatile, so no wonder they wanted to bring him back. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have him back at that money, so you might as well. Um, yeah, I, I think right tackle has got to be Alex Lewis, or they're probably drafting a right tackle. Yeah, I mean, I, John Harbaugh was coach when James Hurst played at left and right tackle in recent years, so I'm not sure how why he would come out and say this, although with the options they have on the roster, he's just kind of saying what it is for now, so I don't think it's anything to freak out about. I mean, obviously, no one wants James Hurst as a starting right tackle throughout the season, given what he's done at the position. I thought when they re-signed him the four-year contract that they were giving him guard money, and it made a lot of sense that they would keep him at left guard particularly because of how he played last season. So uh-huh. that can still end up happening. There's still a lot of time left. But if James Hurst is legitimately going to be a right tackle for the start of the season, God forbid, why would you have not just kept Austin Howard for like for the money? I just don't understand. Like He wasn't great, but he definitely provided a lot more, um, a better option on the edge than Hurst does, at least in my opinion. Um, maybe there's a potential for a cheaper reunion there as Howard hasn't really gotten much attention on the free agent market, so who knows. But it really does point to drafting a tackle in the first round. And as much as I keep looking at it, it makes sense. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad about drafting another Ronnie Stanley-type guy on the right side like McGlinchey. It's not a sexy move. Obviously, the Ravens need offensive playmakers, but you have to first keep protecting Joe Flacco because without that, he's not going to be able to throw the ball and score. So I, I, I predict that they do end up taking a tackle in the first round, but – at center makes sense. I mean, we didn't. There was a whole conundrum about what was going to go on when John Urschel retired, when they cut Zuta, and Jensen ended up taking over the role, kind of as like the third option, ended up being the best. So Skura's got some experience. We'll see if he can live up to those expectations that Jensen set because he played a hell of a season and earned that big contract with Tampa Bay. But we'll see. There's, I don't think it's time to freak out. There's still a lot of time left, and I mean, Harbaugh's just saying what he has to say for now. Before we get to our last topic here on the Ebony Bird podcast, another reminder to download the official Ebony Bird app from the App Store to get all of your content from EbonyBird.com. Download it to your mobile device as well. Some gut feelings for the 16th pick now. Again, that's the Ravens' first-round selection. Some draft experts that do this for a living. Mel Kuyper of ESPN mocking 
Oklahoma offensive tackle Orlando Brown, his colleague at ESPN, Todd McShay, mocking Washington defensive tackle Vita V, Will Brinson of CBS Sports, mocking SMU receiver Corlin Sutton, who I know Chris is big on. Some other players mocked to the Ravens, you know, Alabama wide receiver Calvin Ridley, Notre Dame offensive tackle Mike McGlinchey, Texas A&M receiver Christian Kirk, and Texas offensive tackle Connor Williams. You don't have to give me, like, a, you know, a definite, maybe some, like, maybe two or three possibilities but what are who are some of your gut feelings you think that could be sitting there for the Ravens and maybe some possibilities of who you think they'll end up taking uh like I said before I definitely think a guy like McGlinchey hope to God it's not Orlando Brown after we saw the combine I would be very surprised if he landed still in the first round after that um, I throw every remote in the house if it's Orlando Brown <laughs> I know Chris isn't high on Calvin Ridley but um knowing Ozzie's background in Alabama and their need for a wide receiver. If he's there, I would not be shocked whatsoever if they took him at 16. Um, this thing, I know Chris talked a little bit to me about Darius Geis, which is definitely an option. I mean, he's a fantastic running back. The Ravens don't necessarily have a huge need with Alex Collins, but John Harbaugh has been non-committal to running backs before, and who knows, they could surprise us. They could be kind of a best player available type thing. I mean, we didn't expect Marlon Humphrey to be the choice at 16. But I'm I'm still seven either wide receiver or um or offensive line. I don't think a tight end is good enough to be taken in the first round at sixteen. Maybe if they trade back, but I think that might be a target better for the second or third round. So I'll stick with wide receiver or lineman at sixteen. I think it's gonna be best player available. Um I will just to add on to Joe's point, I think Dallas Goddard would be okay at sixteen. I'd be comfortable with that. I don't think it's a reach because I think a lot of people are calling him the next Rob Gronkowski. If you're going to call him the next Rob Gronkowski, just take him early. Um, but I think it's going to be best player available. I I don't know if there's a position uh, that I think anything's there. I mean, the other thing I don't think they're going to do is quarterback. I mean, if Baker Mayfield's there at 16, let's be honest, he's not going to be. But if he's there, they probably have to um, just because it would be hard to pass up. But I, I'll give you a couple guys that I, we haven't really talked about that I think need to be on your radar, and they're both offensive linemen. Isaiah Wynn from Georgia, uh, who can be a guard or a tackle. And Will Hernandez, I was watching the combine, and Meg, Mike Mayock compared Will Hernandez to Marshall Gonda, so it made me go back and watch his tape. And I'm like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, if anyone's going to want him, it would be the Ravens. Um, I don't know if Guard is what you really need, but if best player available, I have him ranked as my 15th best player. So at 16, total value guy. And, you know, I also don't think you can rule out defensive back. Say a Minka Fitzpatrick is there. Say a Josh Jackson is there. Josh Jackson um, makes a lot of sense, especially with the Jimmy Smith situation. So I think it's going to be the best player, period. I don't think it's going to be – we're going to fill a need at 16. I think it's going to be best player available. I think Ravens fans are going to complain no matter who the pick is. Even if they tweet before the draft, I want this guy, we take that guy, that same person is going to complain because that's what we do. Yeah, best player available. That's my gut. I think trading back is what they want. I don't think they're going to be able to. Certainly have some things to watch out for within the next few weeks. The NFL draft coming up about a month from now. And, of course, in Baltimore, the Ravens aren't the only thing on our minds as the Orioles kick off 2018 regular season on Thursday. Again, uh, one last plug. Check out my 
Orioles series and season preview over at Charm City Birdwatch. Now, again, I'm contributor Jake McDonald. With me tonight are two site experts, Chris Schessler at FootballMan58 and Joe Schiller at Joe Schiller NFL out on Twitter. Again, download the app from the App Store. Follow us on Twitter at Ebony underscore Bird and our work at EbonyBird.com. And, of course, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love to hear your feedback. We got some responses on Twitter last week from the show, and we love hearing feedback from you guys. Please tell us what you think. If you think we're idiots, let us know. If you agree with everything we say, let us know. We really appreciate the feedback. So for Joe and Chris, I'm Jake McDonald. We will talk to you next week right here on the Ebony Bird Podcast.